welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant. Say a new covenant. A new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. Hallelujah. The old things are vanishing away in this season. Hallelujah. You may have your seats. Thank you, band. Amen. God culture. God culture. A few months ago, as I said, God sent Apostle Nathan Culver to come to our house. And he released a prophetic word to our church and in which he declared that God is calling hungry for God to create a God culture. How many of you were here for that? And the word that he gave was so potent, it was so rich, that I knew when he was preaching it, and as he was releasing that word to us, although he, he, it was a sermon, I knew it was more than a sermon. I knew that it was something that was prophetic direction, that we not, when God releases prophetic words, it's not supposed to be treated as just information you hear, let it go in one ear and you go, it goes out the other. But when God gives you a prophetic word, it's supposed to become a compass to you. My life, literally, right now, I'm living out of prophecy. My life, I'm living from revelation. That everything about me, everything that I'm doing right now is, is, is completely based on a word from God. I'm literally walking by my faith. My entire life right now is just built by faith. And it's the way God actually expects every one of us to live, right? That we're supposed to live from what God is telling us to do. And if we're, not living from, if we're not living by the word of God, we're not living by faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight, not by our senses, not based on our humanity. But the God, what God desires for his people is that we will learn how to be a people that live completely by his word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word proceeding out of God's mouth. We're living in, a, in an hour in which the word of God needs to become the most, one of the most precious things in our lives. You know? One of the things I've come to discover about God, his word, that, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 91, that they that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, we're living in a day of terror. 
We're living in a day of fear. Many people are suffering with anxieties and disorders are based off of phobias and fears that they're hearing the news and you turn on the news and all you hear is bad news. You hear wars, you hear rumors of wars. And if you're not careful, if you allow all of that stuff to get inside of you, it will actually paralyze you. It'll cripple you. It'll intimidate you. It will terrify you. And that is one of the plans of the enemy in the last days is to get you so drunk on fear that you will be too disillusioned to obey the word of God. That the enemy will use fear as, a, as one of his greatest weapons in the last days. And you have to learn how to overcome fear. Because in a God culture, fear is not tolerated. That one of the things that God is imparting into us in this season is courage. Courage. Everybody say courage. Hope. God wants to fill you with hope and then fill you with courage in the last days. I know many of you grew, probably grew up in churches where when people spoke about the last days, all they told you was all the bad news. So when you heard about, when you heard about the last days, you didn't think about the glory of God. When you heard the last days, you were taught about the mark of the beast. You were taught about the Antichrist. You were taught about the wars and the rumors of wars and the great falling away that the very elect is not even going to be saved in the end. And you wondering if I'm just going to be saved enough to get into heaven. Most believers don't have a, vi a victorious view of the end times. And if God does not want us to have fear, and if he has not given us the spirit of, of fear, but he's given us love and power and a sound mind, then therefore that view of the end times cannot be what God intended for us. That the enemy came right into the church and, and released an eschatology or a view of the end times that actually has instilled and drilled fear inside of the believers. So we got to even uproot all that fear that you got inside of you. Because the end times, contrary to wide-scale popular religious views, is actually the most glorious time for the body of Christ. It is actually going to be the most, the, most, the most breathtaking time for the church. That the body of Christ is going to actually come into full maturity in the last days. That Jesus said, I'm not coming back for a church with, with, that's weak. I'm not coming to a church that's broken. He says he's coming back for a bride that's without spot, without wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride, according to Isaiah 60, who has arisen, who is rising up and is shining because they know the light has come and the glory of God is on them. That although darkness is on the earth and gross darkness is on the people, the people of God are going to rise and Gentiles are coming to the brightness of their rising and kings are coming from the other nations to bring their wealth to us. That the wealth of the wicked has been laid up for the just. So that means there's going to be more wealthy millionaires and wealthy believers in the last days than we've ever seen before. Come on, church. That's what we need to be hearing. The glory is rising in the last days on the church. And the Bible says that the darkness is actually setting the stage for the glory of God to be seen. Because when there is greater darkness, then that means the light gets to shine brighter in the dark. So God is looking for some courageous people in the last days. 
He is not giving you the spirit of fear. He's giving you love, power, and a sober, sound mind. And I'm telling you, fear will, will make you drunk. You won't be sober. So I don't, I, don't, I don't even look at the news. Barely. I look at the news for the weather, and that's it. <laughs> and the sports highlights. Anything that's going to bring fear. They got kids today who are afraid. When they go to school, battling fear because they, they, they hear about shootings, school shootings. People are kids are now going home and are being, are being so bullied and so beaten down and so full of worry that they're going home and killing themselves. Eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. What am I saying? I'm saying all this to say this. God does not, has not left his church here just so that we can put our head in the sand, try to pray all our fears away, and just wait till Jesus comes and saves us. That's not what he set us here to do. He sent us in this earth. He left us in this earth. After he saves us, notice he didn't save you and just teleported you to heaven. Because he could have done that. Right? If the goal was just for us to be saved, to go to heaven, all God would need is an evangelist and an assassin. <laughs> an evangelist to save us and an assassin to shoot us so we could go home. That's it. Why are you still here? Come on. After you get saved, why did God leave us here? Come on, man, because you got work to do. I said, you got work to do. Yeah, I said the W word. You got work. Work to do. <laughs> I get to that. See, but this is what the work is. I'm going to show you what the work is. Genesis 2, the Bible says that when God created the first man, God created Adam, he gave Adam work. He gave Adam work, right? And what was Adam's work? The Bible says God told him in Genesis 2 to till the ground. Who remembers that? His first work was to till the ground. And Apostle Nathan shared with us something profound about that. He said the word culture, the word culture is broken up into two words, cult and er. And the word cult, as you may have heard it, and usually in the negative, and the word cult actually means to, it actually speaks of worship. It actually speaks of a form or a system of worship, but in its, um, in its past participle, or when you go to the root of the word, the word cult, it comes from another word, colere, which actually means to till. To till. And then the last part of the word culture, U-R-E, means an action, a process, or result. An action, a process, or result. So the word culture actually means the action, the process, or the result of tilling. So when God told Adam to till the ground, it was more than just him getting a plow and a shovel and just cultivating the earth. He was actually telling him to create a culture on planet Earth. Yeah. 
to create a culture, till the earth, create a culture. So what was that culture going to be? Adam was created. We know that. God told him, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. God gave Adam a wife. He couldn't do it by himself, so he needed a wife. And God created, God created Eve, and they were both called to create a culture in which the presence of God and the word of God was to be the main attraction, was supposed to be the center of attention. That man, woman, their children were supposed to simply create an environment in which they were going to build a culture in which God was the, going to be the ruler, in which they were going to create a family who was also going to see God and for know him for who he is, that they were going to have intimacy with God, have a relationship with God. This is all before the fall, right? This is all before the sin, before sin came into the earth. God's intention was for mankind to build a culture a way of life. See, culture is a, is a way of life. Culture is a lifestyle. How many of you understand that everywhere you go, you'll run into culture? Amen. Culture is a way people live. There's a culture in everything. There's a culture in every church. There's a culture in every home. There's a way people do live life at their homes, right? There's a way, there's a culture in every business. There's a culture in every city. There's a culture in every nation. Culture is everywhere. Amen. Amen. Wherever there is people, there is culture. Why? Because humans are culture-producing machines. We create culture. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we create a culture and we live in a culture. Do you understand that? The way you dress is based on the culture you came from. The music you listen to is based on a culture. The food you eat is based on a culture. And one of the things that God began to show me was that when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, what Jesus was actually saying was, more than just a person, I'm also a culture. Because if culture is a way of life, and Jesus said, I am the way and I am the life, then that means that Christ did not only just come to save us from our sins, but he also came to earth to establish a culture, a way of life, that when we are in him, there is a new way to live, church, right? There's a lifestyle change when we step into Christ. So when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't abide by the rules that everybody else was abiding by. Why? Because he was living from a different culture. And he knew his assignment was to do what he was to undo what the first Adam did. And he came to till the ground. Christ came to till the earth. He came to establish and restore a culture that Adam was supposed to establish. So when Jesus walked the earth, what did he begin to preach? He started preaching, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. What's this kingdom you're talking about? He was preaching about the kingdom because he was establishing, I'm not about this world. I'm not of this world. But I've, been, I've come from another world. And in this world, God is in control. In this world, God is king. So Jesus began to teach his followers. He says, seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Everything everybody else in the world is trying to get a hold of, Jesus said, it'll be added to you 
if you shift your perspective, if you renew your mind and you begin to look up because there's another world that I'm bringing to earth. You see? So Jesus came to bring his world to this one. And he was doing what Adam's first responsibility was to do, to establish a culture on the earth. Right now, we have a human-driven culture. We have a demonic-driven culture. We have a culture in which the God of this world, Satan, has created. He, he has been tilling from the very beginning. He has been working hard to create a culture that will be void of God. He has been working to keep... See, God doesn't mind you. God loves culture. But what, what, what God also knows is that, remember that's in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, that man started building a tower, a structure in which they said that we will go to the heights of heaven and we will be, they wanted to have build a name for themselves. What they were doing was, build, really trying to do, was create a culture without God yeah. Yeah. and reach the height of human potential without God. That's called humanism. And that's what the enemy is using to try to keep God out. To the idea that we can manifest things and produce things without the assistance of the creator. Imagine that. God created a whole planet for us. And then man is trying to keep him out of it. We're trying to keep him out of school. We're trying to keep him out of the music industry. We're trying to keep him out of entertainment, right? <laughs> We're trying to keep the creator out of the very thing he created. That's, the, that's satanic. That's demonic. And it's the devil's priority right now. So this is why God is trying to get a hold of a people who understand what the will of God is, which is not just to do church, but to create a culture, a God culture, a culture in which the people on this earth will be able to step into an experience and experience a transformation that will lead to life eternal, life everlasting. So the Bible tells us we're in this world, but not of this world. See, I'm here to build and create a culture, a God culture. Now, one thing you want to know about God is this. God does, never does anything without a promise or a covenant. God does not do anything without a covenant. In fact, one way that you create culture, and I'm skipping out a lot of stuff, but one way you create culture is by establishing a covenant. Because what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement. A binding agreement. You guys heard the word covenant before, right? The word covenant, or the word covenant means a binding agreement signed with blood. Culture can be formed intentionally through covenant. What do I mean by that? For example, when I got married, my entire life changed. I made a covenant with a woman by the name of Shanique. And when I made a covenant with her, it literally meant that my entire way of living now changed. I went from a single man or I went from living a single life to not having to live a married life. How many of you know that's two different lives? <laughs> All right. 
that you can't be married trying to still live single. My way of living had to change. So by making a covenant, I made a decision in my heart to say that I'm no longer going to do life the same way I used to live. I'm now going to do life a new way, which is this married way that I got to figure out. But the covenant is what makes it possible for me and her because she had to do the same thing. She had a way of doing things. She had the way she wanted to spend her money. She had the things she wanted to do with her time that she could no longer do because the two have now become one. We made a covenant, an agreement to say that we are going to make, we are going to, the, uh, we are going to merge and we're going to do life together. No longer on my terms or your terms, but on our terms. Amen. And so this is powerful because what covenant can create is that the times when you don't feel like living a certain way, the times where you don't feel like doing the things you may want, you know that you need to do, but you don't feel like doing it, the covenant, because it's a binding agreement that we've made from the heart, we are now declaring that we are choosing to live a certain way despite of what society may sell us. Despite of what media might show us, despite of what we see on TV, we made a, co we made a covenant, an agreement together. We're going to get to covenant a little later in this series. But it's, it's important that you understand in a God culture, whenever God sets a covenant, it's because he's establishing a new norm for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He is saying that I'm making a promise. Do you realize that God is the only person that can make a promise that he can keep all the time? Yes. Yes. See, we make promises. But the Bible says that the difference between God and man is that God is not a man that he shall lie. Yes. So what's the difference between God and man is that God can't lie. Man can lie. We can, we can try not to lie, but it's because of our human nature, we can lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He can't lie. That's what makes God God. So if God cannot lie, why would he even need to make a promise? The promise is not for him. <laughs> the promise is for us. The promise is for you. Because God needs to get it through your head. The promise is designed to silence any other doubts, any other thoughts in your head that something can go wrong. That's the, that, that, that God may, you know, you know uh, 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 backslide or God may change his mind. No, if God says he will do something, he, he, he has to do it. He, he and his word are one. <laughs> he puts his word above his name. So he can never say anything and he not do it. Because it will ruin his reputation in the universe. It's for that reason why the stars are still hanging in the air. It's for that reason why the planets are still positioned the way he placed them eons ago. Because it's balancing on his word. Now... Everything else in creation still obeys his word. But the very beings that God created to be just like him, to live in his image, to carry his likeness, we are the ones who decided to rebel and disobey his word. I want to give you some principles to start off this talk, this, this teaching on a God culture. Because what we are going after, the Bible shows us in Hebrews chapter, what did we just read? 
Hebrews chapter 8. And the title, the title of this message is Growing in Knowing. Growing in Knowing. God wants us to grow in knowing him. Because God is to be known. God is to be encountered. And I want you to write this down. Number one, God is to be encountered, not just explained. God is to be encountered, not just explained. Now, many churches don't have a God culture. Many churches have a religious culture. And what we're adamant about at Hungry for God is that our goal is to eliminate, to destroy, abolish, sanitize from our lives any ounce of religiosity that might linger in this place. And we want to create a God culture. Right? Uh, Apostle Culver also mentioned, he said, that many churches are trying to go out and create revival cultures. They're trying to create um, worship cultures. We're trying to create... Uh, um, um, healing cultures or prophetic cultures, apostolic cultures, evangelistic cultures, all those things are great. But if we just simply pursue a God culture, we will have everything in that one thing. Because if we have God, we have everything. Amen? Because how many of you know you can, you can actually try to do things for God that God is not a part of? Every church that looks like a church. All right. God is to be encountered, not just explained. Look at this. Hebrews 8. All right. Look at this. I'm about to get deep. You ready? Under this new covenant, we are in a day and hour where, according to the new covenant. Now, the new covenant was, was instituted 2,000 years ago. When Jesus sat down at supper time with his disciples, his last meal, his last supper, he took bread and he took wine and he said something. He said, what? This is the uh, blood and body. He said, this blood, I mean, this, this wine is the cup of the new covenant. Remember that? He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. When Jesus sat down, he instituted a new, everybody say new. new. A new covenant, a new agreement. It's like getting an upgrade. He said, I'm taking you out of the old agreement that was between you and God, and I'm now bringing you into a new covenant, a new agreement. It's like when you get the, the text or the call from your phone camp company that says you are now due for an upgrade. You now have access to a new phone. What does that mean? That means that you can do away with the old, that the old is now obsolete, and there is a new phone available. With a new phone, it has new features. With a new phone, it's better than the, than the last, isn't it? They're not going to bring out something new that's worse than the first. God established a new covenant because he realized that the old wasn't working. Now, I'm not going to go in depth into what the old covenant represented, but all we need to know about the new covenant is what it actually says. <laughs> because this is what's the foundation for this God culture. 
Look at what he says. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws where? In their mind. mind, And I will write them where? On their hearts. Did Adam have laws to follow when God created him? Did God give Adam a book to follow? So how was Adam supposed to know how to live? How was Adam supposed to know how to create a culture that was supposed to establish the kingdom of God on earth? How was he supposed to know to do that? He had a what? He had a relationship with God. He had a face-to-face encounter with God. He knew God personally. Right? If, I, if Larry wrote a book... <laughs> If Larry wrote a book, as much as I would love to have his book, I know him personally, right? So I don't need to go through a book to know Larry. I have direct access to him. I can ask him about the stuff he wrote in the book. And the stuff he left out of it, I can ask him about it. (laughs) Right? So there is, when God gave us an old covenant the old covenant was based on a law that he wrote on stones that man had to follow you didn't have direct access to him you had to go through this stone you had to follow what he wrote not everybody had direct communion with God only one or two people did and I was the priest and the prophets and everybody weren't priests and prophets He had a select family, and then he had a high priest who was more holy than everybody else, or had to be, or else. And then their job was to connect with God on behalf of millions of people. That was what the house of Israel under the old covenant had to go through. They had no, they had, they had to settle for secondhand information. They didn't have direct access to God. So when Jesus said in the new covenant, watch this, in the old covenant, they spend their entire life trying to get the law into them. Because they, they had to, Bible says that they were wrote, they wrote the law on their walls. They had to write the law on their, on their on, on necklaces and walk around it with, with it on their chest. They had to literally keep the law in front of them because they wanted to not break it. Because if they broke it, then they would be cursed. I mean, they were, their life was the definition of performance, of, 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 of constant striving because they realized that they couldn't do anything wrong. They couldn't get it wrong. So they, they spent their entire life striving to be right before God. They tried to get the law in them. But under the new covenant, the Bible says, he said, what I will do? God said, I will write the law in their minds. I will put the law in their hearts. It says that under the new covenant, you will instinctively know what to do. But what religion does is this, tries to keep you back in the old covenant. It tries to get you to do, gets you to focus more on what you're trying to do for God instead of what God is trying to do in you. You need to become more aware of what God is doing in you, church. There is more happening in you than you realize. God is in you right now. Filling you with his spirit, writing his law in your heart, 
giving you instructions in your mind. It's not just random thoughts. It's not just random happenings. God is actually in you right now, showing you what to do, guiding you, leading you into all truth. See? But let me tell you why most people can't access that place. Look at what he said after that. He said, and the house of Israel, I will write the law in their hearts, in their minds, right? And those of you who allow that to happen, you're the new house of Israel. Amen. Amen. You're the house. Say, I'm the house of Israel. Those of you that, those of them who are still trying to follow the law and keep it and put it in them, they're not the house of Israel. Because that was under the old. Okay. If the Jews who still are keeping the law and trying to get it in them, in their own strength, they are not the house of Israel anymore. Under the new covenant, God says, now you are the house of Israel. Those of you who are allowing me to do the work in you. You see this? Watch this. He says, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. So you realize two things already God said. He said, I will do it. I will write the law in their hearts, and I will be their God. The old covenant was you trying to make God your God, and you trying to keep the laws in your own strength. God says in the new covenant, I'm going to not only put the laws in you. He said, I will do the work. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And this is the part I wanted to get to. He says, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. Say, all shall know me. Shall know the Lord. Nobody needs to say, know God, because all will know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. Come on, church. We went from serving a distant God to now having an intimate relationship with God so much so that Jesus said in this culture you don't look to God as just God you call him father you call him Abba you call him dad come on under the old covenant God came and he went it was visitation-based. Under the new covenant, God lives in us. So now there's a habitation. We move from visitation to habitation. God is residing. God is remaining. God is staying. In us, with us, 24-7. See, this is why we're going to create a culture. Because your mind has to be renewed. We got to kick away all of those religious beliefs that God comes and goes. Yep. You're not coming to church and saying, we got to sing some songs to bring God here. No, you brought God here when you came. You brought the presence of God with you. Why? Because your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are God's new address. You are God's residence. That's why you can create a God culture wherever you go. Because the living God lives in you, lives in me. Come on, church. Are you seeing this? 
So the, the word says that you will know the Lord. That word know is different than what you know. Because that word know in the, in, the, in, the, in the original language doesn't mean you will know him by way of intellectualism. Uh, intellectualism. It doesn't mean you will know him by information. It actually means that it means to know by personal experience. That's what it means. The word know there is the word ginosko in the Greek. It means to know by personal experience. What it means, you can't know God any other way. He said, all will know me. All will have personal, direct access. All will have personal experience, personal encounters with God. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Hallelujah. That's how Adam knew God. See, I'm teaching you about life before the fall. Because that's the first cult, God culture we see. In the garden, before man fell, before sin came into the earth, God came in the cool of the day, chilling, talking to Adam. <laughs> right? God will come in the cool of the day. Say, God is cool. God will come in the cool of the day and just make himself known. And Adam because he had no sin in him, was so sensitive to God that any time God came, he was able to sense his presence. Now, I'm going to just blow your mind. Adam didn't see him. He discerned him. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time, including Adam. You think you need to see. We walk by faith, not by sight. We think, I need to see God to know him. No, you need to discern him. You need to perceive him. <laughs> yeah, you, so you got to learn how to respond because God is spirit. God is spirit. You don't see the spirit. You don't see the spirit realm while you're still walking in the natural, but you can perceive the spirit. You can discern the spirit. You can recognize the spirit. And that's why the Bible says when you know your righteousness, it does something to you. In Hebrews 5.12, it says that after you, know, after you have been taught the word of righteousness, that you will now be able to discern good and evil. So this is why God says, this is why you will know me. Look at what he says. You will know me. Why? Because he keeps going. Look at the next part. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Number two, write this down. In a God culture, we have a God consciousness, not a sin consciousness. You know why religion can't create a God culture? Because religion teaches you how to have a sin consciousness, it keeps bringing back up sin and preach sermons on sin, telling you what you need to stop doing, telling you how you're supposed to, why, you, why, you, why your life isn't blessed because you're doing this and you're doing that, you're doing wrong. And we're constantly trying to teach people how to live for God by telling them how sinful they are and how do you need to stop sinning. The more I talk about something is the more aware I'm making you of it. You can't be aware of God and aware of sin at the same time. 
I'm going to say that again. You can never grow in God thinking about sin. That's why the first thing Jesus said, I'm going to deal with the sin issue. I'm going to wash their sins away. I'm going to forgive them of all their sins because the goal is, let me tell you about love. Love doesn't have to be right. Love doesn't have to be right to win the relationship. See, Jesus didn't say, no, man got to get it right before they can be restored to my father. Jesus said, no, I'm going to take the fall for them. I'm going to become wrong for them. Let's do away with that sin. They have a debt they can never pay back, Father. I'm going to do it. You deal with me. And in three days when, I raise, when I'm raised back up, sin is dealt with. The relationship is restored. <laughs> Are you getting this? He dealt with sin to restore the relationship. Because you cannot grow in knowing God thinking about sin. As a matter of fact, you can't sin when your mind is on God. <laughs> Anybody ever tried that? <laughs> it's very hard to sin while you're thinking about God. To actually sin, you got to push God away out of your mind. I don't <laughs> you can't even enjoy it. You see that? So imagine this. See that religion is sin, makes you sin conscious, and religion has been making the world devil conscious. Yeah. Oh, think about the devil. The devil is after me. The devil is busy. The devil is trying to steal my joy. People wake up thinking about the devil, go to sleep thinking about the devil. How could we ever create a God culture if all we're thinking about is the devil and sin? Come on, man. The Bible says, all shall know me. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Religion thinks, <laughs> religion thinks knowing sin is the beginning of wisdom. We literally think that. <laughs> the fear of sin is the beginning of wisdom. No, it's not. The fear of sin is not the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is. What's the fear of the Lord? Having an awareness of the Lord at all times. Having a reverential fear, having a reverential awareness of God's presence everywhere you go, everything you do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know how to live your life after you have an understanding of God's presence with you everywhere you go. That's why I say it's hard to sin thinking about God. So what did God say I'm gonna do in the new covenant? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take away their sins. Right? Sin consciousness is the currency of religion. Religion remains in business today by teaching people about sin. And people come back to church only because they think that by coming to church, my sins will be taken care of just a little bit more. You see that? They don't know their righteousness. 
They're not teaching them about how holy they are, how clean they are, like we were singing about earlier. And because they don't understand any other system. Because if I step into the new system, the new covenant, God's way, and God's culture, I don't worry about sin. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. He lived unimpressed by everything else in the world. That's why he can have friends who are sinners. <laughs> if you're afraid of sin, then you're not going to have friends who are sinners. But you can, have, you, you can be a friend of sinners when you understand that the God in you is greater than the sin around you. And not only that, when you understand what the new covenant says, the promises, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their deeds. I will not even remember anymore. Come on, church. I'm the, I didn't say this. God said this. Come on. <laughs> this is why I preach grace. Because you got to have an atmosphere of grace to create a God culture. Anybody can walk into this room right now in any sin, with any addiction, with any sickness, with any disease. And the expectation is God will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and iniquities he's not remembering anymore. So when they come in, my expectation is that God wants wants them to know him. And he wants to make himself known to them. And God has given me and you the privilege of opening up a relationship with the God of creation. With my access to him. He says that what? He says that you are his ambassadors. And he sent us into this world to reconcile the world. To bring them back to him. Woo. Hallelujah. Can I get one more point? In a God culture, we don't believe in God. We know God. <laughs> you got that, Ryan? <laughs> in a God culture, we don't believe in God. We know God. If you only believe in God, you become religious. When you know God, you have a relationship. Mm. When you know, the minute you know God by encounter, by experience, you now move out of just simply belief. Let me tell you something. I'll use my wife again. I don't believe I'm married to Shanique. Imagine if after nine years, I believe I'm married. Does that sound weird, right? At some point, I need to transition from believing to knowing. Come on. You will know the truth. You will know the truth. The reason why some of you are not free yet, you don't know. You believe, but you don't know. Belief is the bridge between certainty and mystery. Belief, believing is the bridge 
between mystery and certainty. Before I knew Shanique would be my wife, I believed that she could be my wife. So what did I do? I kept getting to know her better. I met her. I said, oh, she's fine. She looks like somebody I want to get to know. I didn't know her the first time I saw her. But I decided to pursue her to get to know her. Let me show you how you grow in relationship. So after I, I, I introduced myself, we exchanged numbers. That began the process where I was not traveling along that bridge of belief. I believed something, but I needed to know if it was true. So I was now traveling on that bridge between certainty and mystery. The mystery is she looks like she can be my wife, but I wasn't certain yet. So now my relational interactions with her day in and day out began to bring me to a place in which I needed a revelation. I needed a revelation to know if this will be my wife. You cannot know a person without revelation. You cannot know God without a revelation, and you cannot know the person sitting next to you without revelation. What's the difference? Because what's revelation? Revelation is firsthand information. Revelation is what a person reveals to you, reveals to you about themselves. With, and I said this many times. Without a revelation, all you have is an, is an assumption. Without a revelation, all I have is an assumption. Until she tells me, if this is my first time meeting her, until she tells me her name, I don't know her name. I can say, is your name Sandra? Is your name Brenda? No. Is your name Amanda? No. Is your name Giselle? No. What's your name? Sharita. I, I got a revelation. Yeah. Something I didn't know, I now know because she told me who I was. Until then, I just assumed what her names were. God doesn't want you going to him with an assumption. He wants you to go to him with a revelation. And when you, how do you get a revelation? Go to him for myself. If I don't know I can go to him for myself, what I'm going to do? I'm going to depend on what other people say about God. Religion. Religion is what men say God is. Relationship is who God says he is. Religion is, I'm going through man to tell me about God. <laughs> you see it? Relationship is now, I go to him and he reveals himself to me. Huh? And that's the encounter we're talking about. Once God reveals to you who you are, I mean who he is, then you actually know who he is. Until then, all I have is an assumption. So after I crossed the bridge between mystery and certainty and I got a revelation, I prayed and said, Lord, if this is my wife, 
Show me. Open my eyes. We say those things, right? Open my eyes so I can see it. That's asking for a revelation. Open my eyes so I can know. I don't know until you show me. You see that? And when God revealed to me this was the one, I now literally had to cross over from believing she was my wife to knowing. And I was able to now make a decision. Watch this. God showed me this. He said, it's appropriate to question information, but dangerous to question revelation. It is appropriate to question information, but it is dangerous to question revelation. She told me her name. Once she tells me her name, I now know her name. Why, if I was to doubt, is she, is this, is her name really Sharita? Is, is it really, is she really the person she says she is? As long as I'm in doubt, I'm questioning her revelation. And I can never grow in knowing as long as I remain in doubt. So when I stay in a realm of belief, after God gave me a revelation and I don't cross over into what he said is true and it's not what I know because if I know truth I'll be set free then I will remain the same person I was because I didn't allow his revelation to become the definition of who he says he is that's why who was the prophet Nathan said this he said you cannot know the Christ on the basis of a question he said who do men say that I am they said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're a prophet. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Let me see if you got the revelation. Because this is why Jesus said, did this. I can tell you who I am all, the, all day long. But if you know, until you know. Until you know, you don't experience salvation. You don't experience deliverance. You don't experience what I offer you because you're still questioning who I revealed myself to be to you. This is why the church remains in a dimension of confusion, a dimension of doubt and fear and unbelief because God has been giving you revelation about who he is and instead of transitioning from belief to knowing you're still questioning as if you believe that holding on to doubt is some form of a value let me tell you in a God culture we only have faith there's no doubt there's no see as long as you have doubt you have excuses and if there's excuses, there's reasons why you can't be who God says you can be. Why you can't do what God says you can do. Why God made a covenant. It's because he swore within his own blood that I will do what I said I will do. You will know me, not just believe in me, all of you from the least to the greatest. And if you all open up your hearts to know me, you will be able to make me known. Yeah. <laughs>
My last point. You have to know him to make him known. You can introduce somebody to somebody you don't. You have to know him to make him known. How many of us are supposed to know him? All of us. Not just your pastor. Not just your leadership. Everybody in this church should have to know God on a personal, intimate, deep level. We all need to know him. We must all have our own space, our own relationship with God. And when that happens, we're now all able to make him known to a world that needs to know him. That's what God is looking to do. He reveals himself to someone, and after you reveal, he reveals himself to you, you now carry a revelation that is a key that you can use to open up a door of relationship for somebody else who needs to know him. He gave you access to him so that you can now give somebody else access to him. Listen, I know the creator. I know the Lord. I know God. Let me introduce you to him. And the only way you can know him is not just sharing information. You got to lead them into an encounter. Hallelujah. So the world is not waiting for more information about God. They got that already. Woo. They're looking for an encounter. And only carriers of his presence, only people that understand that they know him and they have not allowed unrighteousness and the sin consciousness to get in the way. Because that's one of the reasons why you delay. Right? Delay and fear. You say, well, I don't know. I'm going to pray, but I don't really know if God is going to move. Then don't pray if you don't know. It's a waste of time, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I'm growing in knowing today. I need to grow up in my knowing. Oh, man, if I showed you, if I had more time, I'll show you John 5, 39. When Jesus said, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But they are these which testify of me. But you don't come to me so that you'll know me. You guys know that scripture? I like the verse before that, actually. Look at verse 38. You do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. <laughs> so he said, I've, I've given you a word. I've given you a prophetic picture. I've given you, I've shown you how I was going to come. But because you don't, you haven't allowed my word to abide in you, you don't even believe. So they couldn't cross over into knowing him because they even really didn't even believe. Because instead of abiding in what God said, they had replaced God's information with human speculations. They have allowed public opinion to, de to, to determine how God was going to come this, instead of what God revealed in his word, how he was going to come. So when the Son of God actually showed up, showed up into the earth, they could not receive him because they didn't have his word abiding in them. Watch this. So what does that mean? If she told me her name... And I don't allow that word to abide in me. I throw it to the side and say, no, she's not Sharita. I don't believe what she said. And if I doubt, I'll ask her again, who, you, who are you? 
I just told you my name. That's what the religious dude is doing all the time. You're still asking if I'm the son of God? I turn water into wine. The dead, are, the deaf are hearing. Blind eyes are opening. The, the lame are walking. I just raised Lazarus from the dead. What more do you need to see? They chose not to allow what they saw to abide in them. They let it go because they didn't want to believe or accept what they were seeing. Are you getting this? You don't question revelation when God gives it to you. Jesus was baptized. The Bible says the heavens opened. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A few verses later, he's in the wilderness. And then the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What is that? What happened? The father gave him a revelation. The devil comes 40 days later to get him to question the revelation. If you are the son of God. Did the devil know he was the son of God? Yes. Why? He just heard the father say it. Yes. So he wasn't worried about him. He was trying to get Jesus yes. to doubt who he, who he was based on the revelation. It's dangerous to question revelation. Because if Jesus would have, would have doubted what the father just told him, all would have been lost. He would have moved them into unbelief. The first thing he did to Adam. Adam, you're in my image and you're in my likeness. They were already like God. The devil comes in Genesis 3 in this form of a serpent. If you eat from this tree, you will be like God. Doubting the revelation. Adam, you're supposed to know who you are. Why are you doubting the revelation I gave you? You were already like God, Adam. So when you get a revelation that you are blessed, when you get a revelation that you're healed, I want you to know what the devil is going to do in 40 days. Or even quicker than that. You go... <laughs> He'll try to come. You got 40 days max. <laughs> you got to hope. When God shows you, gives you a revelation of who he is, who you are, who he says you are, you got to now allow that word to abide in you. Abide in you. I'm going to hold on to that word. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess it. I'm going to visualize it. I'm going to see myself walking in it. And anybody that tells me anything different, I will condemn. I'm going to stand on the promise of the word. And I'm going to allow the word to bring me into a new encounter with God. A new experience with God. Because he just showed me something that I can't afford to question in this season. God reveals you, reveals your identity. He says, don't you know you're a prophet? And like, no. Me? I'm not a prophet. 
I can't be a prophet. Jesus. You're doubting what God revealed to you? Jesus. God says you're healed. Am I really healed? But I still have this pain. But I know what the doctor said. Oh, this passed down from my bloodline. Everybody in my family had this. So now the warfare is no longer between you and the devil. The warfare is now in your own mind. It's in your own mind. So the Bible says, what are you supposed to do? Cast down every thought that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. Above the knowledge of God. Come on. Once God has made himself known to you, you now cast down every opposing thought contrary to what God has made known to you in his word, through a prophet, through revelation, however God has made himself known to you. I hold on to that word and I declare that's who I am. And that's how you pull down those strongholds. Paul said, set your mind on those things which are above. Why? Because you abide in the realm you think of. Where your thinking is, your abiding is. That's, you, you will live in a realm of poverty as long as you keep allowing poverty to remain a norm in your mind. You know that that's, those are realms you live in. Two different people can have the same experiences growing up but can, can live in two different realms. All because two pe- they decided to have two different perspectives, mindsets on this situation. Whatever you choose to live, wherever you choose to set your mind in, that's where you'll reside. I got to wrap us up. So here's my last point. How do we know God? How do we get to a place where we get to know God? I want you to write this down. Number one, the secret place. The secret place. Everybody say the secret place. place. Mm, Just turn with me to Matthew 6. I'm going to wrap up here. Hallelujah. I'm going to teach you the secrets of knowing God. I got more points, but I just want to jump. I just want to lay this on you right quick. You don't know God in public. You come to know God in private. You don't know God in a crowd. You don't know God in a crowd. In a crowded room. No, the Bible says when you pray, when you pray, Matthew 6, verse, what is that? Somewhere, yeah. Eight? No. Yeah, Matthew 6. No, no, no. Seven. No, six. (laughs) But when you pray, go into where? Your church? A crowd? You know, people don't like being alone. Yeah. <laughs> people don't like being alone. You ever, you ever just try to sit in a room by yourself and nothing? <laughs> no TV, no phone, 
When was the last time you did that? <laughs> but people don't like being alone, most people. We already got half a half a God culture here, so most of us are already moving this up. But look what he says. When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father. Who is where? Who is where? So I don't have to wonder where he is. If you've ever had a doubt or a question, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know how to find you. God says he's in the secret place. That place where it's just you and him. God is waiting for you right now to make himself known to you when no one else is looking. And as much as you want to know about him, you're going to find out about him in secret. Yes. Now I ask God, God, why do you want to make yourself known in secret? Why do you want to be found in secret? Why is it not enough just to come to church with everybody else in a corporate setting and grow up in knowing you? God said, because I love Secrets. God reveals the secrets in secret. Watch this. Think about all of the major moments in Jesus' story. His birth, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus was born where? In a manger. Who was there? His parents, no one else. He tried to get into a hotel or an inn. They said there wasn't enough room for him. It was crowded. Mary tried to give birth to him, give birth, give birth to him in a crowd with other people. Jesus said no. God said no. He's going to be born in secret. If the king of kings was being born, and I'm God, I would want the whole world to know the king of kings is about to be born. Why did God allow Jesus to be born in secret? But no one, not a lot of people knew. No one knew. Only those who got a revelation. God wants to be known by revelation. Jesus even told his disciples. He cast spirits out. He said, don't tell them. Don't tell them I'm the son of God. The demons would say, we know who you are. Jesus said, shut up. Don't tell them who I am. I don't want my name associated with you. Because if you tell them who I am, they all think I'm with you. <laughs> they were already questioning, is he from God or is he from the devil? Demons said, we know who they are. Demons knew before humans. But Jesus said, no, you're not going to help me. God wants to be known in secret. Resurrection. He dies. He's buried in a grave. Three days after he rises up. Who saw him when he rose? He was in secret. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody saw when he got up. Nobody. Not even Mary. 
Not even the woman who caught. They came to the tomb and he was gone already. So no one even technically saw Jesus rise up from the dead. It was a secret. Now, could God have made that moment spectacular? <laughs> could he have made that a, a, an attraction for everyone to see? Boom! Guess who stepped in the room? <laughs> Why are these moments so quiet? God wants us to know him by revelation. It's a personal. God wants to make himself known to you personally. And notice, even the miracles, even, the, even, the, even all of the, the stuff that the multitudes came to him, that was not what he used to reveal to people who he was. It was, it was just an attraction. But he didn't live for that. That's... Can I tell you what God showed me yeah. really quick? Yes. I just really feel like hungry for God specifically. I need you to get this. We were battling. We've been battling for some time now, Ryan and myself and our leaders, because the way we market ourselves as a church and promote ourselves, we've been very careful about making about a personality that I'll be honest with you. I know the anointing God has given me to heal the sick. And to move in miracles. I know that. So I could double this church in a month if I just simply build this ministry around the healing anointing that God has given me, open some blind eyes, get some people to get up out of wheelchairs, and it would draw a crowd. And people would come. But what would they come for? And that's how churches become a spectacle. Yeah. It becomes something where it's like we're coming for this attraction. We're, we're, we're going to see the man of God move in miracles and signs and wonders. And it's all about the man of God. And we said we want this church to be a church not built on any one person. It's going to be a move of God that is going to be nameless, that's going to be faceless, that's going to be titleless, because we wanted to create a God culture where God's presence and his glory will be the main attraction. Why? Because all shall know him. You didn't get it. Because all shall know him. And if you all know him, then we all can make him known. So it's not about the set man or set woman. It's not about one person. It's about the entire community, the entire family rising in their sonship and making God known through their faith, through their works, through their signs and wonders. You all are going to be doing the demonstration. I don't want to build this ministry on my gifting alone. Because when I die, what's going to happen? That's what happens. That's why revivals fail. Revivals stop. Azusa Street, Welsh Revival, you name all the revivals. They all ended yep. when that person died yep. who led it. Yep. It's not supposed to be a one-man show. Right. It's supposed to be a culture. <laughs> a culture. Say culture. 
where everybody's living this way. We are all going to live in the supernatural, church. We're all going to live in the miraculous. You wait and see. As you get this revelation in you, you're gonna, we're going to all be. You ready? Come on, Avalon. I see you hungry. I see you rubbing your hands together. I want you to catch this. So I was, we were adamant about that. So we're not going to promote one person. That's why you don't see a lot of pictures with me on it. That's why you don't walk in the church and see a picture with me on it and my wife. We don't want it to be about us. Not to throw shade on anybody else who does that. Because there are places for that. People need to know who you are. <laughs> so many people come in here and they're like, who's the pastor? Right. <laughs> but here's the deal. God loves hiddenness. Even though Jesus died publicly, his true identity was still a secret. They all saw him die, but they were still like, if you're the son of God, save yourself. They still didn't know who he was. His death, his resurrection were all done privately. Because God reserves heavenly realities to be revealed in secret places. God wants to make himself known to you first in private so that you can now make him known to others in public. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites who love praying, standing in the synagogues, on the corners of the street, looking for everybody to see them. No, God said your desire to be seen by me must always be greater than your desire to be seen by men. So one more time, when you pray, this is the place you get to know him. Go in your secret place, shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you where? Publicly. Woo. The people that are able to make God known are the people that took the time to know God in secret. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. You guys ready for this series? <laughs> I want you to lift up your hands. Hallelujah. And I want you to know there are levels to knowing God. Amen. Just to clarify, what you know about God is not the same as what you know from God. It's not the same. So my prayer is that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon you in the knowledge of him. That we all shall know him. That the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened. See? It's an inner knowing. It's an inner knowing. It's what you know from within. I pray that you will have faith and courage to know God, to pursue Him, to get into the secret place, 
I'm going to challenge you all. I'm telling you, you take 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, one hour a day, however long you want to get into a secret place, a secret time with God. If you're hungry to know God in this season, I want you to do, do just that. That's your homework. That's all I want you to do is that I want you to get into a time of when no one else is looking. And I just want you to get into his presence. And I want you to come knowing, number one, he's already in secret waiting for you. So you're not wondering, I'm just in here by myself, nothing is going on. No, in the spirit, I want you to lock in and I want you to realize in this place, God, you promised to make yourself known to me. And then you said, as I know you in secret, you will reward me publicly. So this is why if you seek the kingdom first, everything else will be added to you. God will reward the seeker in this season. Because when you seek him to know him, he will reward you brilliantly, openly, extravagantly. You will work miracles. It will become normal to you. Because it's just the reward of being with him. Woo, hallelujah. Revelation for direction for your life will come to you. Divine protection will be your portion. God will make sure to protect his investment in you because as he's made himself known to you, you now carry a revelation that's precious that he wants the entire world to know. I don't worry about my health. I don't worry about my protection. I don't worry about anywhere I go because I know who he is. That is your greatest form of protection. If you abide in the secret place of the Most High, ha, then you will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Come on, church. Lift up your hands. I pray for encounters, divine encounters to be in this house. That as we pursue a God culture, God, that we will know you not by assumption, not by what man says you are, but what you are revealing directly to us. I pray, God, that you will open up our eyes in this season. Give us insight in your word that we won't just stop short in the scriptures, but we will transition from the scriptures into direct communication with you that our ears will be open to your voice our eyes will be open to discern and perceive what you are doing in this season give us pure hearts God that you said in your word that the pure in heart will see you in our hearts we will see you if there's anything in our hearts that's clouding our perception of you we pray God that you'll remove it we thank you that you have that you have, um, have removed all unrighteousness from us. That you have cleansed us from all of our lawless deeds. So that we can all know you from the least to the greatest. Doesn't matter how old we are. Doesn't matter how young we are. Everybody can know you right now because of the new covenant. Thank you for this upgrade. And I thank you for this upgrade. The Lord's just said in this upgrade, you got FaceTime with me. Yeah. Yeah. You will see me face to face. In Jesus' name. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.